So, Ryan, I got to ask you, what's your favorite bourbon? Okay, so uh, this is a cliche answer, but when I can get my hands on it, I love Pappy Van Winkle. It's obviously very difficult, it's scarce, and it's expensive, but it just, for whatever reason, hits the spot and really puts me in a very positive frame of mind. In terms of what my favorite attainable bourbon is, Basil Hayden's or Knob Creek or Angel's Envy, any of those three, I don't really have a favorite necessarily between them, but um, all three of those, when I go to the liquor store, I'm generally going to buy one of those bottles. And then if I'm at a bar and there's like a big price difference between those three and Jim Beam, and I know I'm in a place where I'm going to get three or four of them, then I'll drink Jim Beam on the rocks that night. So I know that was a little bit of a convoluted <laughs> answer, but I gave you some tears and circumstances there. Hey, welcome to uh, Reckless Speculation. It's your good friend, it's your pal, it's your compadre, it's TC, everybody. How you doing? Uh, joining me on the big show today is Ryan Glass-Peagle. Did I get that right? We did. Beautiful, beautiful. You can follow him on uh, Twitter. And uh, everyone loves Twitter, right? Because Twitter is the bastion of common sense and rationality, right? Uh, and, that is, <laughs> and that is sports rapport. Uh, dot com well not dot com it's i guess it's just at sports rapport and for those of us uh, who have a public school education like myself how to spell rapport it's uh, r-a-p-p-o-r-t it's one of those words that uh, doesn't look like it sounds right it looks like rapport yes yes exactly so when it comes to bourbon for me i gotta say i i, I kind of like uh, I'm, I'm, I've just kind of gotten into the whole whiskey bourbon world and I, I appreciate, uh, Trader Joe's just name brand, or I guess it's their own brand, uh, whiskey. It's, it's good. Uh, What's one per bottle. What is it? How much does it cost for a bottle? It's like 12 bucks. Oh, wow. So <laughs> yeah, I would have to check that out in these times. Yes, exactly. Uh, Ryan writes for uh, the brand new website, right? It's, it's what, a couple months old, right? Uh, it's outkick.com. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's new in the sense that my boss, Clay Travis, added about a half dozen new voices, including uh, Jason Whitlock, Michael Schamberger, Bobby Burak, and Gary Sheffield Jr. and myself. But Quay's actually been running that site for probably eight or nine years. So oh, wow. Okay. He, kind of, he saw where Barstool and Ringer with Dave Portnoy and Bill Simmons were able to take their huge individual brand, create an umbrella around it, and have nine-figure sales. And so I think he felt that he was at a place in his personal career between writing and doing Fox sports radio drive time in the morning and lock it in on FS one, which has since been rebranded to Fox bet live, that this was the time to go for it with the website. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's cool. I, 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 before the show started, I was ta I was talking to you about it. It's, it's a little different than most sports sites because you know, let's be honest, uh, the sports media and maybe somewhat of the media in general is a little bit of an echo chamber. Um, so 
This is, uh, I guess, a different take uh, from a, a different perspective since obviously Clay's a little bit more, oh, I don't know, libertarian or conservative, uh, and uh, Jason seems to be that way as well, right? Yeah. All right, good enough. <laughs> So, all right. Uh, so, yeah. So, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about uh, today, I, I thought it, I thought it was interesting. Is uh, oh, when you were mentioning the writers too, I think you forgot to mention Joe. So he's going to yeah, come Joe, get you. Yeah, to my dad. I didn't. The, the yeah, founder yeah. of the coverage. He um, he also does a lot for Outkick now, and he's really talented at finding random internet ephemera. Yeah, there you go. Very nice. Hey, let's let's. You're you're in the Chicago area, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about the Big Ten. I know you had a story here. Uh, was it this morning or the other day about uh, the athletic directors basically wanting to play football, but it, it seems like the presidents, if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, kind of put the kibosh on it. The university yeah. presidents. So, uh, Nebraska's athletic director um, told Omaha.com that he and the other 13 athletic directors in the Big Ten were unanimous in support for forging ahead with fall sports, which of course includes football season. But um, the Big Ten presidents really outvoted the athletic directors, and Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, apparently siloed the athletic directors away from the presidents and chancellors and may have driven a wedge and just gotten the cancellation of football season rammed through. Wow. What do you think is going to happen there? Do you think, do you think they're going to be able to turn this around as far as – the fall season, or or is it done now? Is is there is there no chance that there's going to be a, a fall season for the Big Ten? Last week, Kevin Warren released a letter that said the decisions made, and they're not going to reconsider it, and they're forging ahead with a winter season. But this is really just a transparently terrible idea for them because, first of all. The um, the idea of playing eight games in the winter and then turning around and playing another 10 games or whatever in the fall is really irresponsible for putting that much wear and tear on these young players' bodies. I think it's highly unlikely that a vaccine is going to be available by the winter at a time where it's going to be given to some of our youngest and healthiest members of our community, which is 18 to 22 year old college football players. We're going to have effects of flu season more prevalent at that point too. And it's just dumb. I, you know, I don't, I think that there's a glimmer of hope that maybe they could appease, for example, Ohio state, which some reports indicated was going to lead a insurrection against the big 10, but got kind of blockaded by Michigan governor Gretchen Whitner. But maybe, so maybe they get like, maybe they do a quote unquote compromise and start a season in December instead of January. But I think for all intents and purposes, the, idea of playing a season in the actual fall is a ship that has sailed. Okay. When, when, when you look at the, the coronavirus hospitalization numbers, I know the death numbers are still high and there's some debate on whether some of that stuff is old data that's 
now being put in there or if it's if if it is what it is there's that lag but the good news is on hospitalizations for the coronavirus it seems is that i think we were at like close to 60,000 maybe 3 3 and a half weeks ago and and yesterday i think it was down to 39,000 so the numbers are dwindling again and we're not hearing about it i guess as much in the media so i guess that's good news right and is in, in, in your mind, is this an overreaction by the Big Ten? Um, well, okay, so I think that the most prudent path for them to have taken would have been to mirror what SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey said after the Big Ten canceled their season, which is that, look, we don't know if we're going to be able to play this fall, but at the same time, it's too soon to cancel it. What the Big Ten did was extremely haphazard. They released a schedule on a Wednesday that they said included guardrails for potential delays in the season. Two or three days later, the sports internet Twitter started buzzing with everybody that Kevin Warren apparently has on speed dial saying the Big Ten's going to cancel and it's going to be a domino where all the conferences are going to cancel. And then that Tuesday, less than a week after they released their schedule that allegedly included guardrails for delays, they canceled the season. And so that alone is indicative of the fact that they just did not have a cohesive plan throughout all of this. And right after they canceled the season, the news of this game-breaking saliva test comes out where the NBA worked with Yale to fund this saliva test that apparently is rapid, inexpensive, and reliable. And yet the Big Ten is still not reconsidering their thing. So my whole thing is that I'm not saying that they definitely could have pulled off a fall season, but they pulled the plug on canceling the season far too soon. And another thing that's very aggravating about all of this is that these Big Ten presidents and chancellors, I did a story over the weekend where they they represent public universities. With the exception of Northwestern, every school in the Big Ten is a public university. So these presidents and chancellors are paid with taxpayer money And they combine to make over a million dollars per school of the 13 schools in the Big Ten that are not Northwestern. And yet we don't know how any of them voted except for Nebraska's president, which who voted to keep the season and Minnesota's president who voted not to keep the season. The other 11 of them have been just completely silent about this. And whether you think they should have canceled the season or not, I think that everybody should agree that these people who are paid a lot of money to be leaders, they're paid by the the taxpaying public, they should at least have to disclose how they voted, and you'd think that they should have to justify it. But that hasn't happened at all yet. Yeah. Hey, we're talking with uh, uh, Ryan Glass-Peagle, and you can follow him on Twitter at SportsRapport. And uh, the website is outkick.com. So based on what you just said, it, it kind of tells me that the, the people who haven't revealed uh, obviously voted uh, against it. It seems like you'd, you'd figure that would be the case, right? Well, we, we think that Iowa 
did not vote to cancel the football season. And okay. then there were reports that Ohio State's new president, Christina Johnson, was not going to vote to cancel it. But it's a really convoluted information flow the way this came out. So it, it was reported the day before the Big Ten canceled the season. Dan Patrick came out and said the Big Ten presidents voted 12 to 2 in favor of canceling the season. The lone holdouts were Iowa and Nebraska. Then um, the reports that I just mentioned came out that said that Christina Johnson at Ohio State was not going to vote for the cancellation of the season. Then the next day, the season got canceled. Later that week, uh, Minnesota's president said that there wasn't a vote per se, but that there was general consensus to cancel the season. Penn State's athletic director said she didn't know whether there was an actual formal vote or not. Then in his letter, Kevin Warren said that there was a vote and it was overwhelming in favor of canceling it. So it's really difficult to know exactly how this shook out and whether there was an actual formal vote. But it's also hard to know how um, many of the presidents were kind of plugged in on this. You have to remember that the presidents are dealing with everything that has to do with the school, whether there's going to be students on campus, what they're going to do with tuition, how they're going to handle the balance of online versus in-person instruction. Football may be like kind of the front door of a lot of these schools, but these people have a lot of other things to be dealing with. And so we don't know how many of them felt strongly about canceling the season. We do know the athletic directors who are working on this every day day apparently unanimously did not want to cancel it but they were siloed off and so it's very difficult as a member of the public to know how much of this was the big 10 presidents and chancellors how much of it was commissioner kevin warren and frankly we're not getting answers that we should be given what i said earlier about the fact that these are public universities and that this is a matter of great public interest in these regions yeah indeed you know I, while i've never been a big fan of the uh the un i'm actually going to point to something in the in the the, uh, the 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 general security council at the un where they have the five permanent members and i think that's what the big 10 needs to put ohio state and somebody else where you know the most influential schools maybe have a uh, and i know this is a, a, a probably a terrible idea but uh, i guess i'm just making light of the situation where you you could have you know obviously the only school that matters in the big 10 in some ways is is ohio state and obviously there's michigan and there's some other schools there that have pretty good programs my minnesota my minnesota program is uh is on the rise with uh, pj fleck but uh yeah i mean for it to just you know just you know have these smaller schools potentially decide the fate of you know ohio state it just it just seems a little odd to me but, yeah, yeah, no, it's completely strange that um, in a vote of these 14 schools, for example, Rutgers and Maryland would count the same vote as Ohio State. This would be like if they did the Electoral College and California counted the same as Wyoming and South Dakota. Like Ohio State drives the most revenue. They generate more revenue for the conference than they take back. And they should be, like, if not 
being like the total declarative vote, they should certainly have a lot more sway than merely being one of 14. And people can say whatever they want. I think that there's going to be long-term ramifications from the fact that their concerns are not being properly addressed in this scenario. Yep. Agreed. Hey, are you old enough to remember uh, the Brady Bunch show? So I'm old enough to remember it on Nick at Night, but I'm 33 years old and thus was not around for well when it was in first run. Of course, of course. Jeez, I, I don't think I was around either. Think. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the character that they added? They added that little kid named Oliver to the to the. Do you remember that? There was like this blonde headed boy that they na- added to the cast for like a season or two at the end of their run. Do you remember that? Um, I don't, but okay. go on with your okay. analogy. Yeah, so my, my analogy is the Pac-10 is the Oliver of the Brady Bunch, and I know the Pac, uh, the, the Brady Bunch was six kids, not four, but uh, I, I guess I'm not surprised that the Pac-10, uh, tying this into the kind of the Big Ten, that the uh, the Pac-10, was, I guess it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to cancel their season. And I, I, canceling their season than the big 10 does because they have much um, lower television revenue. Right. And so that it's just, I don't know. There, there are some schools in the PAC 12, like USC and Oregon and Washington that are formidable football schools, but they, it just is not it, like in terms of like the power five conferences, they're definitely fifth. Yeah, and would, would you think it's safe to assume because of the geographical region where those schools are that there will not be a Pac-10 season at all this year, not even in the spring? I mean, there's such followers of the Big Ten that maybe they'll try to do the spring season too. So if the Big Ten does it, I couldn't rule out the Pac-12 doing that as well. But I don't know. I'm not, frankly, informed on their plans as much as I am on the Big Ten. Right, okay. Last thing today I want to talk to you about, and I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. You can follow Ryan at Sports Rapport on Twitter, is uh, Luka Doncic. You know, I, I always judge the best players in the NBA as the ones that have won championships. So like Kawhi, LeBron, Steph Curry. I don't count Kevin Durant because I, I, I find him to be, um, uh, I basically call him bandwagon uh, as he was joining the bandwagon. He could player on the Warriors teams that won. And you got to remember, even though they did set the wins record in the year before they got there, they didn't beat LeBron and the Cavs in that NBA finals. And so I don't know. It's, I still count Durant's rings, even though I wish that he would have tried to win on more of his own terms, but go on. No, 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 no. So, but Luca's performance, Luca Doncic uh, has been really impressive. I, you know, I didn't think that they were going to be able to hang with the Clippers, but now that that series is 2-2 and the dagger, as you called it, uh, on OutKick uh, the other day, uh, I got to say, Luka Doncic, man, I mean, if this if this guy, I, I think he's maybe, is he a top seven or eight player now at least? Maybe even, is he, well, basically, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. Is he a top five player? Because obviously you got the three guys I mentioned. You probably got... Uh, uh, Giannis, uh, and then who else am I missing? Maybe Kevin Durant, 
right? But Kevin yes. Durant. I mean, we've got, it, we've got six people for five spots is what it kind of seems like. And Lillard is also somebody who may have a stake to that claim as well. And so maybe we've got seven for five spots. And this is like a little bit of a cop out, but I don't, I don't know. I don't do this like ranking players thing. Like I just, I kind of think of it as they're all really good. And I don't, it's you, you mentioned earlier that you judge players by ranks. And I guess this is fair in the NBA, which is the sport more than any other team sport with possible exception, the NFL and quarterbacks where one player can influence so much of a proportion of an individual outcome. But I would also be careful on thinking that just because somebody hasn't won doesn't mean that he will. Now, Luca's really young, and this is his first playoff series, so he doesn't have the like proverbial playoff choker label applied to him like one of his opponents, Paul George, does. But just I always think back to two people in football, which is Peyton Manning and Andy Reid. You're certainly old enough to remember how the idea that neither of them could win the big game was a label that was attached to them for so long. And then lo and behold, they did. So I don't know that like the clutch gene or whatever, I'm not dis missing it as something that's complete nonsense, but I'd also be careful applying past clutchness to what's going to happen in the future. So what do you think of that Clippers Maverick series is does Dallas have a shot of at an upset here just because Luca is just so damn good. The, the Clippers are more talented top to bottom. I right. mean, you, it, let's say if, if you even say Kawhi and Doncic cancel each other out, maybe Luca's a little better. Maybe Kawhi's a little better. I don't know. But let's say they cancel each other out, and then you go two to nine in the rotation. The Clippers are probably more formidable. the The thing is, is that the the Mavericks just seem more like locked in and focused on this. This is like a really cliche thing to say, but I just, you look at like Doc Rivers's eyes. There isn't a sharpness or intensity in his eyes, and I just think that might permeate down through the Clippers. I really don't know. I can't just sit here and declare who's going to win, but it's a fascinating matchup where one team is more talented and the other team I think just wants it a little bit more. Yeah. yeah I get that. So who what who's your uh, do you have finals picks at this point? I know you've been making uh, kind of some predictions on outkick.com and you you were nailing them and then all of a sudden you had a one day where you went sideways but then you came back on Sunday to uh, go 4 and 0, I see. Yeah, uh I just it, it was a roller coaster. I benefited from Joel Embiid's last second three and Jamal Murray's last second three, both of which had nothing to do with the outcome of the game, but everything to do with the outcome of the spread. Oh, right. Now I had some like bad beats earlier where I had like a team that was an underdog and then they went to overtime and then they didn't cover the spread in overtime. I hate when that happens, even though I benefited from something similar yesterday with the Mavs, but the, um, I don't know. It, it, it's just like, 
it's kind of a coin flip on these things. And I just don't want to fall too far under 500. Most people who track their, most people who like put their bets up, don't track their record. And I always think that that's a little bit cheap. So win or lose, like I'm going to disclose how I did. And that's kind of how I'm trying to like differentiate this series from any number of sports betting content that's out there. My prediction before the uh, season resumed was uh, Toronto uh, would uh, win the title over the Clippers and exact their revenge, even though they still love Kawhi. They'd exact their revenge on Kawhi. Uh, Do you think that's a a possibility of uh, Toronto uh, and the Clippers in the finals? I think they're less likely than the Bucks. I think the winner of Bucks Heat is going to have – an advantage over Toronto, but I don't know. It's I'm so bad at predicting the future. I would say that the Lakers are the best team, but they also have the hardest path to get there because they're, they've got the Blazers who are formidable first round opponent. Now they're probably going to play the Rockets in the second round. And then I don't know. I, you'd think that they're going to play the Clippers in the, in the Western Conference Finals, though, as we discussed before, it's not a foregone conclusion that the Clippers are going to get by the Mavs. So I think that the West beats the East, but who comes out of the West is the most interesting question to me. Do you think the Celtics have a shot this year, or is it just that the 76ers were just kind of a mess and uh, they were able to uh, sweep them easily? They're kind of a rudderless organization at this point. Let's see the Celtics get to the finals. Um, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. right. Well, not not interesting at predicting the future of basketball. (laughs) Just, just day by day by day by day. (laughs) So, all right. Uh, so yeah, any, uh, so you also, last question is, uh, you mentioned, uh, you love, I see you love cheap beer. What's your favorite cheap beer then? Since you love expensive, uh, bourbon. I, I go Miller light or Miller high life. And then sometimes bud heavy, sometimes course original, sometimes PBR, but Miller light and Miller high life are probably at the top of my regular pyramid. Nice. I've never been a fan of beer. My first beer was when I was probably 15. It was a warm Coors beer, and that pretty much ruined it for the rest of you forever. Exactly. Though I've I've developed an affinity for white Russians uh, lately, so I'm uh, yeah. I don't drink cocktails. I just drink whiskey on the rocks or beer. Okay. And then I get you know I've gotten into vodka lemonade this summer after a long layoff, but it's just that's been a really refreshing drink for me. All right. Well, I I appreciate the time. I'm going to wrap up the show. It's TC, everybody, and I'll see you in the emergency room.